Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor of the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. We have a a couple of quick things to talk about this week before we jump into our feature. Uh, Why don't we start off right away? Um, There was an article written about the tremendous success of the Sturgeon Bay soccer team over the last decade. Yeah, uh, Matt Pottest, who has joined us uh, over the last month to um, do some uh, sports writing for us. So if uh, regular readers of The Pulse have noticed, uh, we're we're just trying to get a, a couple of sports features in each issue now. Uh, we've got a lot of call for getting more, especially prep sports, in the paper. And one of the things he touched on um, after this this year's soccer season where the Sturgeon Bay Clippers boys team advanced to state yet again, the seventh time in 10 years. So he sat down with Todd Moss and Jaden Stevenson, a former player of Todd's who now plays in college, and just had a, a great story and conversation with him about the just that tremendous level of success that Sturgeon Bay soccer has had. Now, I know that uh, high school team athletics can struggle in Door County due to class sizes, especially up in Gibraltar. Yeah. I know that the, the team sizes are so small because of class sizes being so small. Is that kind of the same case down in Sturgeon Bay, or is that problem alleviated a bit more down there? It used to not be a problem at all. Sturgeon Bay used to be, I believe it was in Division Two for the longest time, which was the second largest in the division in the state. Over, over the last uh, 20 years or so, Sturgeon Bay has actually lost close to 200 students in the high school ranks. Um, they used to be over 500, and now they're in the threes. Southern Door is similar to that. So those two schools, like when I went to school in 97, those were just like behemoth schools that at Gibraltar, it was just like once every eight or nine years you could even compete with them, and we were all in the same conference. That's changed a lot. Now all the schools up here are, are smaller, and Sturgeon Bay and Southern Door are closer to the size Gibraltar was 20 years ago than they are to the size Sturgeon Bay and Southern Door were 20 years ago, which is kind of crazy. So as kind of just an overview, how do Door County schools rank athletically? I know the soccer team's doing very well, but uh, is that a kind of across the board or? Well, you know, there's always ebbs and flows. Uh, Certain sports uh, at certain schools start to have like an era of dominance, you know, like Gibraltar. 20 years ago, had a great cross-country run for about eight or nine years. Then Sevastopol had a cross-country run. Southern Door had probably maybe the best prep um, athletic team that the county's ever seen. In, like, 89, their Southern Door football team won the state championship largely on the back of Jim Flanagan, who ended up playing about 10 years in the NFL. Sturgeon Bay had a run where they had a bunch of future NFL players in the mid-90s in football as well. Right now, you know, Southern Doors basketball team is just destroying it. Matt wrote about them a, a couple of weeks ago. They've had, I think, five players cross the 1,000-point career threshold in the last, like, five years, which is pretty pretty phenomenal considering, like, in the whole history of Door County, there's been 13. And Southern Door has had five in, like, the last six years, five or six years, including two that are playing right now. So Southern Door has been pretty dominant in the conference of late. But Sturgeon Bay soccer doing what they've done is uh, that's as good as any— any prep team has ever been up here. 
Yeah, I know that uh, a lot of individual sport, I know that a lot of people tend to do really well up here in the, in, on an individual basis. Yeah, you'll uh, have like the occasional cross-country runner who's just a stud. Right, yeah. we've There's been a couple articles that I've seen recently that have come out about cross-country runners and some other athletes that have gotten, you know, huge accolades or scholarships, uh, either from Gibraltar or from the Southern schools. Even with forensics, the uh, one act at Gibraltar went on to do very well at state this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it seems like left and right, we're, we're writing about these uh, teams, athletic and academic, that are doing very well. And one thing that's happened of late is there's been a little bit of an equalization and leveling of the play, playing field, not just in Wisconsin, but states all over the country. It used to be, you know, if you go back many decades, you'd have states where all the schools were in the same division. There weren't like separate divisions for small schools and big schools. So it was always the big schools who would win the state championships. Um, that was the big, that's whole, the whole premise of the movie Hoosiers, like the classic basketball movie where the tiny little Hickory High wins the uh, state championship over the big city school. Now you have, they, they've added divisions over the years. And so and even Sturgeon Bay, which Division Two was probably on the big side for even Sturgeon Bay and Southern Door, even at their peak. Now they have a more equal playing field. And Gibraltar and Algoma and Sevastopol are now dip down into an even smaller window of, of, of teams that they have to compete with to go to state. So it is maybe a little bit easier in that you just don't get have to go to the playoffs and get walled by the big schools. And also in, in Door County, they've realigned the conferences. So years ago at Gibraltar, we'd have a school of, say, 225 kids in the high school. And the whole year, we would go out and we could compete against Sevastopol pretty regularly because they were about the same size. But otherwise, you were playing Southern Door, Sturgeon Bay, Denmark, Ocano Falls, Ocanto, all those schools, Kiwani at the time was much bigger. All those schools were on the order of twice as big, if not more, than Gibraltar and Sevastopol. So you spent most of the year just, well, there's 10 games that we're just going to get pummeled, like 70 to 20. You know, So um, now that now those conference alignments have shifted, so you don't have to play all those big schools. And you may have to drive farther in some cases to go and, and play against teams your size. But it's it's been nice because a, a lot of those athletes can now experience some success a lot more often. How is Gibraltar's basketball team doing? Are they still the undefeated powerhouse that they were when you were coaching them? <laughs> well, we were never undefeated when I coached them. I did get lucky and had some some good players that, uh, so we had a fair amount of success for a couple of years, largely on just like a lucky stretch of really good players, really good parents, and a really good coach. And, and an okay coach. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, Justin Burris is doing a great job at Gibraltar, building a program there. He's in his fourth season. But like, it's it's kind of crazy. Like Sturgeon Bay for a while was the dominant team in the conference. And now it's just become Southern Door for a while. And Sturgeon Bay had, I mean, they had a team that I don't think they went undefeated. But Jim Bennish had been coaching there for, I think it's 27 years now. He's been there since I was in high school. And he's he's always had a really solid program. So I, I like this time of year. I try to get to a few of the high school basketball games. Now Now that I'm not coaching, it was hard for me to go back to the into a gym for a while. And just because you that first year you step away from coaching, you are, it's just, you're just too into it. You're super into like, what are they running? Oh, they should be doing this. And you want to go down and tell people what to do, even though, even if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but now I can go and, and, and plus when you just get out, you still know all the players and stuff and all the other coaches. But now having a little distance, it's been six, seven years since I coached. It's, it's fun because I can just go and enjoy just the the whole scene of high school basketball and just, just kind of soak it in, which is always fun. Well, you'll have to you'll have to bring me to a game because I'm in that weird position where, uh, you know, I'm out of high school. 
you know, less than 10 years ago, uh, didn't go to games while I was in high school uh, and don't have children yet who are in high school. So uh, I'm in that weird spot where it's like, oh, I guess I could just go because I want to go support them. Yeah. Um, so, but it, it's one of those things. So you can take me to the next, uh, the next big yeah. game. And then be, before we move on, the, the I think readers you should check it out. The the article that Matt Pottis wrote. I think what Moz has done with that program in the last ten years has been phenomenal. They've won state one time. They've been there seven times. They're almost always uh, the top team in the conference. He's produced uh, several players who have gone on to play in the college ranks. And we didn't get a chance to do this story. During the soccer season, because Matt joined us, kind of Matt Pottis joined us right at the end of the soccer season. So even though it's not in season, it's kind of cool to see what those players say about playing for Coach Moss and being part of that program and what they're learning from that. I think one of it, Jaden said, like he's the kind of coach that you would run through a brick wall for. And you know, I think uh, coaches are hard. To, really good coaches are hard to come by. You know, any school will tell you that sometimes you just end up with a warm body in that spot. So when you got someone like Maz, who is there for 10 years and is so committed to that program and obviously has achieved a great deal of success and, and the players respond to him, I think that's that's really special because, I mean, I coached varsity ball for four years and that's a long time to coach, honestly, and, and it, I, I wish I could have done it longer. But for, for those people who commit to it for years and years and years, like like Coach Banish, like Todd Maz, like Josh Kropinski at Gibraltar, putting in decades of work at that level, it's just it's awesome that we have some of those guys in the community. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up, too, because some of my favorite teachers from high school were also coaches. Um, I didn't participate in any of my school's athletic programs, but a lot of my geography and social studies teachers were coaches. And some of my favorite ones would talk about how, I mean, finding a a great teacher who really cares about the students is, you know, can be hard sometimes anyway. Uh, But that problem is exacerbated by coaches because sometimes you have people who are going to college for athletics and then either suffer a bad break or an injury or something that, uh, that takes them out of that career path. And then they have to totally shuffle their lives around and, and say, well, I can't play anymore, but I could coach. So then it's like, you have to get a degree in teaching something like social studies or geography or math or writing so that you can be a coach. And a lot of times people are like, well, I guess I'll do this. And they, they kind of fall into this, like, I, I could have been great, but I'm not, so I'm doing this instead. Yeah. I mean, it could be the same well, circumstances. Well, in a lot they, of cases, the people that are, who were really great athletes, a lot of times they, they do make good coaches. Derek Hawkey is now the coach at Southern Door. He was a great high school player. But a lot of times those those are not the guys who, who make great coaches just because it's hard to go back and, and step back and say, all right, here's a here's a very low-skilled player that I'm going to have to turn into something if this team is going to be successful. And that might be some. And to do that when you're not, a, you aren't somebody who had to work from that level, it's sometimes hard for guys to wrap their head around. They just, right. all right, you should know this. You, sh- you should be here. I want to I wanna work with the skilled guys. And at small schools, you get a lot of non-skilled guys. Well, and part of it too is, caring more about the students than the game. You yeah. know what I mean? Really, I, I find that the the best teachers and the best coaches are the ones who care about young people and want young people to succeed and want to do everything that they can to help push young people forward into their into their future outside of high school. And when you have coaches coming in who are like focused on the game or focused on what could have been, then that starts to, to slide. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the stuff that I heard from some of my favorite teachers growing up and, and going to high school is that they decided to become coaches because they cared about young people and and that made all the difference. Well, there is, you know, people ask me if I'd ever go back into coaching. I don't know if I would, but the one thing I miss about it is you go into a gym 
full of high school kids. And it's just like, it's such a nice change of pace. If you're working your nine to five job and you're just with a bunch of people going through the grind and luckily at the pulse, we, it's not the grind that a lot of people have to work through. It's I, we have a really creative, interesting job and office, but even from here, ending the day at three o'clock and going and stepping into a gym and just hearing the conversations and the way kids talk and, and, um, what they, you know, seeing them learn every day and, and improve and change. Cause like once you start getting older, people just don't, some, some of that drive to improve, you don't see it as often. And in a, you go into high school gym and you're just going to see people growing all the time. It's, it's just like, uh, that's the thing I probably miss most about coaching. Well, and the, the sad thing for you is now that you're 40, you hate young people. Yeah. So, yeah. That happened as soon as I had my 40th birthday, yeah, I, I turned into a curmudgeon and <laughs> well, we haven't been able to talk ever since you turned 40 because yeah. you came in like a millennial. I don't have time for you anymore. So why don't we move on to another article in this week's issue? Uh, you've written an update to an incident that happened last year. Is that right? Yeah. In uh, July of 2017, Lou Branham was riding her bike on Judville Road in Fish Creek and was killed uh, in a, a crash. A gentleman driving a, a linen truck um, hit her at the intersection there as she was turning north on that intersection, it's Judville and County A. And she was struck and died on her way to the hospital. Um, that happened in July 22nd of 2017. On November 7th of this year, the Door County District Attorney's Office charged the driver of that vehicle, Jeffrey Lautenbach, um, with homicide by vehicle, operating under the influence of a controlled substance. Almost 15 months after the accident, the charges were finally filed. I didn't follow this event as it was happening, but I do remember hearing about it here in the Pulse offices, people talking back and forth. Um, and I remember people specifically talking about roadway safety and uh, bicycle routes in Door County. Has has that become a, a topic of discussion since this incident? Yeah, well, a couple things have happened. That intersection was actually, at that time, was still part of the Door County bicycle route map that is distributed to locations all over the county. It's part of the official route. And any local would have told you, that it should not be on that route because it County A is just a horrible place to ride a bike. There are no, literally, like not even like a six inch shoulder. The, the, the white line for the roadway is practically painted on the gravel there. So there's, there's no place for a car. If two cars are coming, there's no place to go around you. I personally, I bike a lot. I'd never bike on County A. I'd hesitatingly bike across it. It's just a, a terribly unsafe roadway. And Lou Branham, when she crashed, she had that bicycle map on her. She was following the official Door County bike route. And which is, as a Door County citizen, it's kind of disappointing that we would do that. It's also a 55 mile an hour roadway that many, many people take much faster than that. And it's generally seen as like a shortcut for people heading south uh, to bypass the Fish Creek traffic and Egg Harbor traffic. So it's, it's a dangerous stretch of road. It has now been removed from that official bike route. There has been talk about putting an off-road bike lane on or along County A at, at a different stretch of the road. To this point, I don't, I don't see that happening in the imminent future. The other thing that happened at the time was the Door County Sheriff's Department initially just pretty much blamed the accident on the cyclist. Uh, the, the first press release said a cyclist ran through a stop sign and was hit by a vehicle and killed. That was based solely on the driver's account. And the thing that doesn't wash with that is the bicyclist had a GPS device that showed that she had come to about a, a speed of 1.1 miles an hour. So basically a complete stop at that stop sign. So she had stopped. She was a very experienced cyclist who rides over 10,000 miles a year, very experienced with Door County riding, um, comes up here every summer to ride. The other thing is there's, there's a hill to the north of that intersection, but 
what the crash investigators ultimately determined was that you could see that intersection from more than 600 feet from the intersection. So you did have a lot of time to see that cyclist. And the driver initially said that he saw her entering the intersection at the crest of the hill. And what that investigation showed is even allotting for the delayed reaction time, because people don't, you don't see something and react immediately. There's up to about, some of the science says up to about 1.7 seconds before you actually kick in and, and would hit the brakes. But even with allotting for that, they said there was, there, the investigation shows that there's plenty of room between the time he would have seen her and getting to the intersection to take evasive action and brake. And there were no signs, there were no skid marks. There was no sign that the driver swerved to avoid her. So there's, it's going to be interesting what happens at the trial um, to see like what is used to refute that. The, the driver's attorney did not offer any response yet, obviously, and neither did the DA. But the the crash investigation said that the driver was going 57 miles an hour, give or take, like the margin of error of up to 14 miles per hour. So there's a lot of window there on how fast he might have been going. But they did recreate the scene, and ultimately they found that he had traces of marijuana and a prescription drug, I might not say this right, clonazepam, which is used to treat seizures. And he did have a prescription for that. So... A lot of variables there. Don't know what happens um, once this goes to trial. But I have spoken to the husband of the the victim, and he had said, you know, I don't, I don't need money from this. I don't, I don't want to ru- see this guy's lives ruined. Life, who the driver's life ruined. But he said, you know, he had to push hard to get a complete investigation into the accident and to get answers from the sheriff's department because, in his mind, like the version of events that was initially released just didn't wash. As somebody who bikes up here, do you have any go-to resources for people who are looking for, for bike routes or anything like that? The, you, you said that, the, that this intersection has been removed from the official bike route. Is that yeah. something that you would still use or are there some other resources that you'd look into? Yeah, I, I think the, the, the official bike route is, is pretty good. That's a pretty good resource. Um, there are, there are, most of the peninsula is really great for riding. It, I would say that it, it ranks as one of the best places to ride. I've, I've ridden in Michigan. I've ridden all over, in many places all over the country. And our, our roads are generally pretty good. You know, it's the 55-mile-an-hour roads that are the sketchiest in any area. I used to bike in Chicago all the time. I felt safer biking in Chicago than I do here because in a city, people are constantly head-checking for cyclists. They're, they're always, it, it's just kind of, after you live in a city for a little bit, you just, it's built in. But up here, people aren't, aren't looking for cyclists as they're driving. So as a cyclist, you have to be more defensive. You've got to make yourself more visible. I tend to use flashing lights even in the middle of the day, anything I can to make myself stand out. And if I'm, if it's, I mean, almost any time you should wear bright colors, but especially at early morning, dusk, evenings, like reflective vests, anything to make yourself stick out. Right. Well, I mean, especially as we are wrapping up fall and moving into winter, the, the daytime hours are cut so drastically that like even if you're going out at three o'clock, by the time you get back from your ride, it might be dark. So just thinking ahead to that kind of thing. It might not yeah. even be a bad idea just to always keep your brightest, most, re- most yeah. reflective clothing on hand. Yep. Uh, any other takeaways from the story before we uh, move on to our feature? Yeah, just that uh, the there is a the next step in that case is February fourteenth. Trial would take place much much farther down the road. Then with that, we are going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we are going to talk about Nancy Fisher. 
They called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Nankana Island, or worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. Miles, you did an article this week about Nancy Fisher. Can you tell me a little bit about her her life and times and what you wrote about? Yeah, so uh, Nancy Fisher, a bit of a sad story. She, unexpectedly to most of her friends from Door County, she passed away November 21st. I just got wind of it just a couple of days ago. And Nancy Fisher was a president of the Village Egg Harbor for six years. Uh, up until 2013 and was a member of the board of trustees for eight years and really was a her her time on that board was a tremendous period of change for a harbor that stretch uh, included the a very controversial effort to build a new marina there was an old dock there and and that's what you would call it. you would the, what they used to have you wouldn't really call a marina you would have called it just the dock is what you called it sure. growing up there they bought some property adjacent to the village beach and greatly expanded the beach so anyone's not familiar with it, if you've, if you've been to the Egg Harbor Beach anytime in the last eight or nine years, it's a beautiful, rather large beach where you can rent paddle boats and, um, or kayaks and, and personal watercraft. Before that expansion, it was a tiny stamp of sand inside that little dock that's there. So um, really wasn't a great beach to speak of at all. Also during that, pa- that period, they bought the old Lena's building um, in hopes of building a community center and library, which later became kind of morphed into becoming the Crest Pavilion and also built the Harbor Hounds Dog Park and started a, a dark sky initiative to implement like down lighting on all the, the village street lights so you didn't have as much light pollution into the sky and the Egg Harbor Public Arts Project. So if you walk around Egg Harbor, there's a lot of public art, sculptures, all and um, kind of like uh, mosaics on certain buildings throughout the town. All of that started... Um, or was completed during Nancy Fisher's time as the village president. Walk me through the the marina project. Was the park there before? Uh, did the park lead down to the dock, or was that all part of the same project? Yeah, there there was a park there before. Um, that park has been expanded in tiny little steps uh, over the last 30 years. But the marina, and they were always connected, but the marina itself was a very small, kind of crumbling, cribbing structure that was the old cherry dock. I believe it used to be an old cherry dock with like a cherry plant on the pier there. Um, if you look at old pictures of Egg Harbor, that's basically like the only thing on the water down there. But that's what had become the dock for years, I think since the 70s. So what they did at the time was there was originally a plan for a much larger marina. And that became very controversial because a lot of people thought that was just way too big for Egg Harbor. It had a huge break wall where if you were standing at, at the like kind of in the parking lot of the marina, that break wall would have been so high that you actually wouldn't have been able to see the horizon line. And I'd say it was probably a little over-engineered. 
there was a lot of controversy. It did go to a vote and residents voted it down. And so I remember at that time, the village board was really shocked. It was a, that marina project was like a minor version of kind of all the Sturgeon Bay waterfront controversy today. Egg Harbor was the epicenter of like the controversy like that back then. But the village board, uh, led by Nancy Fisher, listened to a lot of the feedback, scaled back the plan, and came up with something in the middle that all the residents agreed to. Even if it was a little more of a tax burden on them because it wasn't as big and wouldn't pay off as quick, people were like, yeah, we, we still want a small town, small town feel. We just want an upgraded marina. So I think, and I'm, I've never been a big boater or anything, but I think it's a, what they ended up with is a, a really beautiful marina mm-hmm. and um, kind of a, an iconic piece for the town. Right. Well, um, that's what I think of when I think Egg Harbor, too, is just especially the view from the park. Um, you, can ju- you can go right off of the highway and walk just a couple feet into the park and then look out over the marina and the water, and it, it's stunning. It's, it's one of my favorite views. That and when you're coming down, what's the... You're, you're driving down A, and then you turn right, and you go past Peninsula Pub, that oh, road. you're going down E, and yeah. if you come to town... You go over, over the, hill. the hill. Yep. That, like, those are the two, I and love both that. of those feature the water. Yep. So I, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that there was a, a, an even bigger marina in the works, because, again, when I think a Harbor, I think the marina. Yeah, they had uh, plans for, I think it might have been like 30% bigger. It was it was pretty dominant on the harbor there. And there were a lot of people that were for that as well. I mean, there were a lot of people who thought like we, it was during a time where people were really pushing to create these new harbors of refuge throughout the county because we didn't have many marinas actually qualified as a harbor of refuge during a storm. So Egg Harbor was looking to do it. Liberty Grove was looking, or not two places in Liberty Grove were. Ellison Bay and Gills Rock were both looking at doing that. And they were looking at doing that at, I think, Shower Park as well, if I remember correctly. But yeah, there was a big push at the time. And yeah, I think the end product they got was great. And then I think it was shortly thereafter that they bought the Marianne Troop property, which was adjacent to the beach, for $1.6 million. So they just spent, I think it was over $6 million in the marina. And then they go to buy another piece of property, which is pretty gutsy from the village board's perspective. This is a town of 200 people. And Nancy's at the head of this. And what I gave her credit for at the time, and and I wrote about this, is she wasn't the type of person to like sit behind the board or, you know, there are certain people who will say, hey, I'm not going to tell people what to do. I'm just, if the voters want to do this, we'll do that. There are certain people who take that sort of, I'm just a presider approach to being a president or being on a board. And there are certain people who go, I was elected. I'm here to lead. I'm supposed to kind of help guide everybody and to, to a better place. And she was definitely in that camp. She was very passionate about environmental issues. She was very passionate about water quality. Whenever the village would do things, she was worried about, like, the dark sky. She was worried about um, what they were putting into the soil, managing stormwater runoff, um, doing things in an environmentally conscious way. So when they bought that and expanded the beach, that was also a big controversy. And, in fact, some residents sued the village board because they wanted to stop that purchase because $1.6 million dollars. Eventually, they got the, the village to accept that in the future, they would go to the voters for any purchase over a million dollars. Right. I remember this because that comes into play with the building of the Crest Pavilion, correct? Yeah, because that became a controversy because somehow, some way, and, and I don't know the exact specifics, but the village never actually codified that. So when they went to build the Crest Pavilion, people, there ended up being a lawsuit again because they they weren't supposed to be able to do that without going to voters yet again. And somehow turned out, well, we can because this was never codified into law. So, but that'll, we'll go down another rabbit hole if we get into right. that. But in any case, both of those decisions were were very controversial and there were definitely like people staunchly against it and probably still are some. Although 
as someone who grew up there, the marina's better than ever was. It seems very successful. And that park surrounding it is great. And the beach is, it'd be hard to argue that that beach wasn't worth that paying for that property and expanding it because it's an incredible attraction for tourism for Egg Harbor. I mean, that beach is packed in the summer. You see boats tied up. It's, it's like Nicolay Bay. But also, like, for residents, that's an, a tremendous asset. Like, I grew up, we never had a great beach. It was, I mean, you could say it was kind of dangerous to play on the docks that we were playing on as kids. So I think both of those have proven to be really great decisions. And then they didn't just leave it as at that. They also built, like, an off-road walking pedestrian path to get people from the village to the beach without having to walk down County Road G right there, which is what we always had to do as kids. Egg Harbor's a lot busier now, so having, getting the pedestrians off the side of the road right there to go down to the beach is probably a really smart, safe thing to do. Right. Well, and speaking of tourism, one more thing on the marina before we, we move on to some of the other projects that she had to do with. The Egg Harbor Marina is the only marina that I actually, like, think of, like, taking people, like, guests when they come up, because I live in Egg Harbor. So I usually take people through town, but I always take people down to the marina and walk all the way out down sure. the, the the walkway there. And and that's another thing. I see people doing that constantly, going and just walking that. And I don't see that in the other towns as much. I mean, I will walk uh, along the marina in Sister Bay, uh, but that's kind of it when it comes to, like, how I, as a, a tourist or a local, am actually taking advantage of the marinas. And this was a point of discussion at the time because you build this big marina structure and some people would argue that, all right, you're doing this for a bunch of people who own boats, but that's maybe 100 people at a time that can use it. And if you build it only around, like, with the pe- the boaters in mind, you're spending a lot of community money on something for a very small audience, if you think of it that way. But by building it with a pedestrian I, w- I don't know want to say a pedestrian focus, but but pre- pedestrian usage very strongly intertwined with the plan. They built something that's probably the most pedestrian-friendly marina in the county. There's, mm-hmm. the, the walkway out there is beautiful. Even the rocks that they chose to use are much more picturesque and uh, beautiful than just like your standard standard like rock filling there. They've got even public art out on that pier, and it's a wide walkway, so it's more like a promenade to go out and view sunsets and things like that versus a dock that you can happen to walk on. Right. It's really a pedestrian friendly place. Yeah, and it's my favorite place to take in Fourth of July fireworks too. Great for that. Um, Because you can be right out on the water and there's enough room for everybody to go and like sit. I've done two fireworks displays. The My first year up here, I did the Egg Harbor one out on the, the marina. Uh, and then I've done it in Ephraim for Fearball. And I like, that's the same kind of thing. You're right on the water, but so is everybody else. So there's a lot less room. Um, whereas in Ike Harbor, there was plenty of room for me to go. And that's like, and we touched on the library a little bit. When they built, when they bought the old Lena's building to build that community center, I personally was one who I kind of thought like, all right, why are you buying something that has functioned at a business for a long time just to tear it down? And because you think it's too old, like tons of old buildings are usable, but and I, I had written something somewhat critical of the decision at the time. And Nancy was one of those people who wouldn't just shut you out then. I, 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 as I was writing this, I went back through some emails. And sure enough, there was an email from her of saying, well, I appreciate your criticisms. I, I do not agree with all of them, but I will take that into account. And those, there's, that's some good input for how we would move forward with this plan. And then she would go, but here's why we need to do this. And here's some of the background on it. There are a few people or a few boards and administrators in the county who will do that sort of thing. There are far more who don't, who if you, if they think you're critical, whether you're a reporter like me or a resident, they just shut you out and, oh, you're on that side now and I don't talk to you. You know, the mayor of Surgeon Bay doesn't talk to the media, which is a really weird decision for a mayor. It's really hard to get him to to talk to you about an issue. 
you know, Nancy was always one to take the arrow. She's like, I, I ran for this office. I asked for this position, to, which is a, a position that takes a lot of criticism. And she was the one out front. When they had to announce something, she went out and announced it. When, when something went wrong, she picked up the phone right away. She didn't try to hide from you or pass it off on her staff or anything like that. I mean, she would give you to somebody if they just knew more about it, but she would take the calls. So I, I think that's a, a really admirable trait. Tell me about this art program that she started. Is that the is that the outdoor art that you see as you drive through Egg Harbor? Yeah, as you walk through, if you see the big uh, sail down by, um, I think it's called Blue Sail, down by the marina. If you see above the beach, there's a, a big sculpture. Um, Ryan Heiss in Egg Harbor has done a great job of moving this project forward, as well as uh, Catherine Mann Beck. And um, I mean, Josh Van Leeshot was the administrator when they started it. There's been several other contributors, but what they've done is, I mean, they've won awards for what they've done with public art in Egg Harbor. Just trying to get things throughout the town and show that they value that aspect of the community. Right. Well, I mean, that's something that I have come to really appreciate doing work for Filmworks. I mean, we put together uh, community videos this year and the Egg Harbor one, there was so much great, like beautiful footage of the sun coming through the art projects or like the slow motion because so many of them have movement to them. Sure. um, That just with the wind, they they turn and flip and shine and do all sorts of amazing things. And and there's a bunch of them too. Um, Yeah. There's the blue sail that you mentioned there's over a dozen yeah there's the isn't there a big egg yep by i think that's by the post office um there's by main street market there's this kind of it almost looks like a cherry blossom tree and it's just all like white and silver reflective almost like leaves Mm -hmm. um then there's a couple there's a really cool one that's like all gold and it like turns in every direction with the wind next time you're walking through egg harbor if you haven't like specifically sought them out look for them and 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 see because they're they're really beautiful yeah, I mean, and there was, in looking back at what Nancy was part of, I, I was kind of shocked when I started going through it. I'm like, this this tiny little town, you've got a marina, you've got the library, the beach, then you also have, you know, Harbor Hounds Dog Park. She's a very passionate person about animals, and she and Kathy Navis spearheaded the effort to build the Harbor Hounds Dog Park, and just so you'd have a place to go take your dogs for a run, because... You know, it was at that time that we were figuring out, well, we really shouldn't have the dogs um, necessarily playing in all the parks down by the water because it turned out that like dog feces was one of the primary components of some of the beach contamination that we, that county beaches were suffering from around the early 2000s. So they built the Harbor House Dog Park. She was very involved with the Door County Humane Society for many years. She was, after she left the Humane Society and left the Egg Harbor Village Board, she moved to Sturgeon Bay and got very involved with the Door County Boys and Girls Club. And I talked to a couple of employees there where she made a tremendous impact in a short period of time. The Women's Fund of Door County, Rotary Club, it's, it was pretty amazing. And she's not somebody who spent her whole life here. She grew up in Evanston, always had family connections to Fish Creek, to, I think her maiden name was Waldo. And she was very passionate. She actually was involved with the Gibraltar Historical Society as well. And It's very cool to see people who come here later in life. I think she moved up here in her 50s and jumped right into civic life and and didn't just like volunteer and and play a small part, but like I'm going to take the most difficult part in our community and be run for president and take on all these big projects. Um, And that's, you know, sometimes as locals, we tend to you kind of be like, oh, who's this outsider? And but sometimes it's great to have those outsiders come in with a different eye and say, you know, like I, I would say this is one of my faults is I don't see the big vision for what could be all the time. And sometimes it takes someone like that who says, no, we, we need this big library. I was not, I wondered why Egg Harbor, my small little hometown might want a big library and how could they ever use that? Well, it turns out 
that that Crest Pavilion is beautiful. It may be one of the most beautiful buildings in the county, and right. it's, it gets tons of use. Mm-hmm. And they they came up with a smart plan to use it. Well, and they're constantly thinking of new things to put in there too. Last time I was in, they had this big poster board that was set up with this campaign that they were running so to try to fund new and interesting things. Like uh, I, I'm pretty sure that they're buying a 3D printer for their makerspace hmm. so that you can use that, new computers and stuff like that, just to to continually make it more worthwhile for people to come in and use it as an events room, as a place to work, uh, as uh, a place for meetings. Um, there's so many different places in there, and I've got to use the... I've got to use the Crest quite a bit recently. Um, I don't have a printer at home, so I like to go there and print. They, they've got computers for people to use. They have multiple different places where performances can be held or conference rooms, work rooms. And then, of course, when you go upstairs, they have that big banquet hall that's, that's gorgeous and looks out over all of Egg Harbor. Um, and, and that's an amazing place to do uh, an event or a party or anything. Yeah, yeah, that place is just phenomenal. And there's... It's- just drenched in natural light too, which is great. The other thing about Egg Harbor that, that like my perspective as somebody who's new to the county, Egg Harbor has always been kind of changing and growing. And it's interesting to hear that that kind of started, you know, even 10 years before I got here. Um, because when I think of like the difference between Egg Harbor three years ago and now, I mean, we've got Hatch Distillery, Shipwreck was rebuilt, um, the Crest Pavilion, of course. But then there's all sorts of new things that are coming in and changing that are going to be open next summer too. Um, and it's just, it's a completely different place now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the groundwork, you know, some of the one barrel brewing company moving in, Wild Tomato opening a, a takeout place down there, the Fireside buying Liberty Square and and moving their restaurant down there. You have a lot of action happening in Egg Harbor and groundwork for creating an environment for that to flourish was laid 10, 12, 13 years ago. And, and we've talked a lot about Nancy Fisher. There's, it's not to say that they were all her ideas or that, she did all the work, but you know she was a very um, important person in leading the way and fighting for those projects once they got brought forward. And and I think Egg Harbor owes a lot to her, even if not everything was maybe the perfect way that some people would have liked it. Egg Harbor, it's, it'd be hard to argue that it's not a a better place for business than it was back then, or even a better community to live in. Well, and I think that re- regardless of of what you might think of of change happening in the moment, I think the everybody can agree that that getting uh, new faces and younger families to come in and, and make Door County their home is important to everybody. And yeah. I live in Egg Harbor right now, and I certainly don't think that I would have chosen Egg Harbor uh, if it wasn't, you know, what it is. And 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 I think that that is uh, living proof that you know these these changes do work, and they are pushing towards something even better. And you know, one last thing I'd, I'd say about Nancy Fisher, you tend to the New York Times did this great thing about. They had to. They went back through their archives and realized all the the really important women throughout history that they didn't recognize in the moment. I think Ida B. Wells is one of them. A lot of other women who are very important historical figures that when they died, the New York Times didn't see them as valuable enough to write an obituary for. And it got me thinking. I'm like, how much? You know, I bet you most of the people that we write in memoriams for and things like that, it's probably like two to one men to women. Part of that being that. Unfortunately, women just haven't been put in as many leadership positions in municipalities and in other places and sometimes in business organizations or haven't maybe sought them out as much in the past. So it's still difficult necessarily for women to to take those positions. And Nancy took a lot of skepticism, a lot of criticism and a lot of the eye rolls that you still see in community meetings when a woman is put in a position of power. You see the guys. Sometimes it's fellow people on a board 
Sometimes it's just audience members. Sometimes it's just good old boys who just like roll their eyes at a woman being in charge. And she definitely had to deal with that. And she never backed down, never wavered from it and just charged forward. And I think earned the respect of a lot of people in doing so. Well, I think that that's a really great way to just kind of wrap everything up for this week. Thank you so much, Miles, for chatting with me, and I'll see you again next week. Always a pleasure, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.